Hi guys, I'm Marie. And I'm Maddie. And we're here recording Lost in the Woods. So it's just Maddie, Phoenix, and I here at home. So we have Phoenix hanging out in the bunker with us because we felt guilty leaving her upstairs by herself. And so far, it's not going super great. So we don't know how far we're going to get today. We might have to... uh... And as in we, my mom means her. She doesn't know how long she's going to be able to handle the five-year-old in the room with us before she panics and has to leave. Well, we like, we brought her a chair in here. She has my AirPods on. She's watching a movie on my phone. Thank you, Disney app. However, we had to like force her to put a movie on because she wanted to just like sit and watch us, I guess. I don't know. I guess. I don't know. She's wearing my comfy. It's pretty cute. And she's sitting in my chair. Yeah, we posted it yeah, on... I'm talking about you. <laughs> we posted it on our story when we're recording this, which would be Friday night, I think, of not this week, but last week. I don't know when this episode comes out. <laughs> So it'll be Friday. It'll be about a week before this comes out where you saw the child sitting in a chair in a comfy. That's it. Just remember that. That's today. So our story today is a little different. Today we actually are bringing you a survival story. Well, kind of. Kind of. Somebody does die though, right? Well, we don't know. Maybe. Today we are bringing you a story from 1981 where three friends and a guide, which I use that term loosely, embarked on an expedition through the jungle. You mean like that guy that we saw taking the people through the crevice? Yeah, the the chasm of doom. Yeah, he wasn't really a guide. (laughs) He just looked like some teenager that was out there. Right, and they're like, thank you so much for taking us through this. Like, they definitely, like, paid him to do that or something. Something. He used the word gnarly when we got when they got out. So I was like, he did. He was also the owner of that backpack that we posted on our story that yeah. we randomly found in the desert. I was like, because you couldn't, you can't fit through there with a backpack. So we just took his backpack off and left it there. And I was like, which the funniest part is that it totally fit this guy when he came out. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. That's his, his backpack. backpack had glasses, a Fanta soda a canned fanta soda and a hat <laughs> and that was all that was in the no backpack. water none of them had water no but- he had a fanta soda though <laughs> definitely a and he teenager. was like yeah super gnarly coming out the other end isn't it yeah you guys like, yep. i can't it's, it's so funny so these three friends and their guide so these four men embarked on an expedition through the jungle eventually becoming separated into two groups Today, we are telling the story of Yossi Ginsberg, who survived in the Bolivian jungle for three weeks. Three weeks. That's a long time. That's a really long time. And it's going to seem even longer once we get into this story. Crazy. Yossi Ginsberg was born on April 25, 1959 in Tel Aviv, Israel. And he is 22 years old when he finds himself in Colombia. His parents were actually survivors of the Holocaust, and he was fresh out of the mandatory three-year service in Israeli reserves. He worked several odd jobs after his service and saved up enough money to travel. He made his way to South America in search of adventure and a desire to experience the jungle. All right, so along the way, Yossi had begun traveling with a large group of vagabonds, otherwise known as mochileros. Right, which basically is backpackers, essentially. Yes. I'm no longer saying our podcast is about missing, murdered, and backpackers. I'm saying mochileros. Okay. (laughs) That's what I'm going to say. Mochilero podcast! Okay. They typically traveled through the less touristy areas of South America. Um, The mochilero symbol of freedom was their backpack, referred to as mochila. So that was basically their symbol was having their backpack on. Every time I wear my backpack, I just get weird looks, but I think that's because it's like twice the size of me. I was going to say, I think because they're just so big. I don't know. I'm walking through the airport and it's like... We do get a lot of strange looks in the airport. Yeah. But most people aren't carrying giant backpacking backpacks in the airport. Most are like all cute and carrying like little backpacks and little purses and things like that. And we have like these giant ass backpacks. In 1981, Yossi is traveling to Tequil Island. 
which is an island on the Peruvian side of Lake Titicaca. It's 45 kilometers offshore from the city of Puno. So he boards a boat to head to Tequil Island, and a man comes running up and is going to miss the boat. So Yossi holds the boat up for him, and this man ends up being Marcus. Mm-hmm. Marcus Stam, to be precise, who is 28 years old. He was formerly in the Swiss reserves. He worked as a school teacher and had extensively traveled. He was actually in South America due to his ex-girlfriend. Right, and I don't know why, but I love this story. So they had been together for 9 to 10 years. However, she wanted him to expand his horizons and experience more of the world. So while Marcus was in South America, she left him for another man. Shocking. Wow. I'm really surprised by that. If my boyfriend of 9 or 10 years was like, I think that you should go travel without me and expand your horizons. I'd be like, um, you don't want to come with me? But even though he seemed heartbroken, he was still in good spirits, according to Yossi, and seemed to be enjoying his travels. So he spoke at least four languages, which was German, French, Spanish, and English. And he would do translation for various people that he would meet and see and Right, and we ran into that a lot when we were in Europe because we only speak English, but... Thank God for Gregory. Thanks, Gregory. But most of the people that we hiked with spoke multiple languages, Mm -hmm. and Gregory spoke a bunch of languages. He spoke four languages. So Marcus seemed to be the unofficial medic out of the lot. He was also the least experienced hiker of the group. Right, so the least experienced hiker, but kind of made up for it in speaking other languages and knowing a lot about medicine and things like that. Yeah. But Yossi described him as the kindest man who never seemed to be bothered by anything. Yeah. And I think too, when you're hiking with people, especially out in remote areas, you will trade certain characteristics for others, right? Like there were people who hiked our speed that we didn't want to hike with, but there were people who hiked faster or slower than us that we would make exceptions for and change our speed so that we could hike with them. So it sounds like this is kind of what's happening with these two. The two got to talking on the boat and got along really well, and they decided to actually stay together. They split food and accommodation costs while on the island. That's cool. That's real cool. I like that. That is really nice when you have somebody to split those costs with because... I mean, we were able to split our costs between each other. But obviously because, we were hiking together. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it was like we never had to like... With food, it was also really nice because we just bought food together. And, then- and we could buy more bulk food too. Mm-hmm. Like if we had a three-day stretch where we didn't come across the town. We also shared our food with people that we saw. Like we... We did actually share our food quite a bit. Yeah. Yep. Because nobody decided to stop by stores. Apparently. Yeah. Most people, most people just carried what they had, which was a lot of... granola, protein, bars, things like that. And we actually planned our food consumption around the towns that we were passing through. Yeah, we did a lot of dropping down into the town. So we would hike a little bit extra to get down into the town. And then we would stock up on fruit and bread and fresh food. And then you get to these little like out in the middle of nowhere areas and people are like, is is that a plum? And we're like, yeah, oh, you yeah, want we're one? eating like peaches <laughs> and plums, and people are like, they've got their granola bar or their my giant jerky. baguette. I broke off a my I carried a giant baguette on my backpack the entire time. Yeah, so we would get like a whole baguette from the bakery when we would drop into town, and then we would eat off of it for like a couple days. Yeah. yeah. While talking, they exchanged their travel plans. Yossi was headed to Machu Picchu after Tequil Island while Marcus wanted to travel to the Bolivian countryside. Marcus eventually talked Yossi into going to La Paz together. Well, in La Paz, there was a large group of machuleros. Machuleros. I love that word. I don't know why. I know. Okay. From all over the world, which sounds awesome. Yes, indeed. 
Marcus and Yossi spent time with several other backpackers, sometimes together with other backpackers or independent of each other. They'd go on little day trips, various hikes, mountain treks, local festivals, and activities. After hanging out with other backpackers, Yossi returned to La Plaza, inquiring about Marcus's whereabouts at different hostels. Yossi was told that Marcus was on a two-day hike with other backpackers. While there, a man approached Yossi, asking him if he knew a Swiss man, a.k.a. Marcus. Marcus. The inquiring party was a man named Carl Rupicher. While the two spoke, Carl regaled Yossi with tales and pictures of his jungle adventures. Yossi was impressed by Carl's knowledge of the area, locals, and especially the jungle. Carl said that he was going on a three-month expedition into the remote areas of the jungle, looking for gold. Red flag. Upon further discussion, Carl mentioned that he could take a couple of people into the jungle with him. Red flag. Carl had reassured Yossi that they would not be in touristy areas. These were remote villages and pristine rainforests. The arrangement was Yossi and the other backpackers could accompany Carl into the jungle, stay as long as they liked, and then when they were ready... To leave, Carl would send one of his workers with the backpackers to guide them back to civilization. Yossi, thrilled with the possibility, decided to see if any other mochileros would be interested in this adventure. Side note, Carl is the guide that we talked about in the beginning. If you hadn't picked that up. Does he purposely get them lost or is it all an accident? Because I feel like those were red flags to me. Him saying... Yeah, but he also, like, is a very smooth talker from what I've read about him, too. This is why I don't trust anybody. Yeah. We've been told multiple times that we should have a guide on certain trips or treks or hikes or areas that we go. And we've never taken one with us. We've never hired one before. But we have GPS and we do all that stuff. Exactly. So I can see... The draw of wanting a guide when you don't know the area. We're back in the days before GPS, really. So all you have is maps. Mm -hmm. He wants to go on an adventure. That's his whole reason for being here. And here comes this guy who's like... Gives him the perfect opportunity. This will be the adventure of a lifetime. So, of course, this young Mm -hmm. man is excited about the idea. So, still in La Paz, Yossi met Kevin walking around the city. Kevin. He did not know Kevin, but knew of him due to his reputation in the backpacking community. Kevin had been traveling in South America for two years at this point and was planning to go back home to America for Thanksgiving. After talking to Yossi and learning of the jungle expedition, he canceled his plans and decided to join in, pushing his return home until Christmas. Joke's on Kevin, though. Kevin would never make it home, correct? God, just tell me who dies. Well, It's like a bad horror movie. Two of these men come out of the jungle, and two of them do not. Um, Yossi definitely comes out, and um, so it's... My options are Carl, Kevin, and Marcus, right? Mm-hmm. I am either going to say I don't think it's... Let me read the description of Kevin first okay. before I give my okay. guess. Kevin Gale. He is 29 years old, an American who traveled the world extensively. He was a naturalist, a photographer. He was known to take amazing photos. His reputation preceded him. He was well known in the backpacking community for feats such as being known to carry the heaviest, biggest backpack. Yeah, he was actually rumored to walk faster than the llamas up the mountainside. So his description kind of reminds me of... um, Fucking Jose. Jose. Yeah, so Jose, you were Kevin for sure in this Oh my God, no, it wasn't even Jose. Jose was Jesus. I don't know how that man made it up the goddamn mountains so fast. (laughs) It didn't make sense. There's like, we're hiking like four or five of us, right? We're going up this mountain, whatever. We're all struggling. We all got our hiking poles. We're going. Everybody's heavy breathing up this hill. We look up at the top. There's Jose at the top. No hiking poles. His backpack's twice the size of all of ours. Oh, and side note, you guys, he actually hiked with us for a couple days and would get to the refuges hours before us and then wait for us. And then he'd be like, 
Where have you guys been? Yeah, I got drinks for you guys. Like, he was, like, always our welcoming party because he would always be us there. Because he would hike with us for the first, like, four hours of the day. And then he'd kind of go off on his own. Yeah, and then he'd go up on his own pace because he was so much faster than us. And we have no idea how he did it. He, It's not Jose, Mom. This man was Jesus. Okay, (laughs) Jesus. Okay, so... It was a bonus, too, that they found Marcus in town as well. And Kevin and Marcus were good friends. So this is working out great for Yossi, right? He meets Marcus, and they become good friends. And then he meets this man named Kevin, who's very interested in going on the trip. And he finds out that Kevin and Marcus are good friends. And then they have Carl. And then they have Carl, this amazing guy that's going to go take them on the adventure of a lifetime. Kevin was also thrilled about all the photography opportunities that would arise. He was hoping to get photos of unexplored jungle, tribes that had never seen Europeans, wildlife, and scenery shots. Side note, his film would never make it home. Mm -hmm. He's the one that dies. It's Marcus and Yossi that make it out alive. Mm -hmm. No, it's Marcus and Mm -hmm. Kevin. (laughs) Is it really the guide guy that makes it out alive? Please tell me he dies. Because if he drags all these men into the jungle and then he survives... Welcome welcome to another episode of Madison Doesn't Know What's Going On. <laughs> I know the story. Like, I know the like the very, very basis is right, of right. the fact that this man is in the jungle. I know the skin falls off it. I know yeah, gross yeah, yeah. details about yeah, this yeah. story. Okay, go. All right. Yossi brought the idea to several other backpackers. Some were interested, but ultimately it was just Kevin, Yossi, and Marcus that were joining Carl. And remember, only two of these men will come out of the jungle. So Kevin and Yossi talked Marcus into coming along. Marcus had met a girl and things were going well with her. He was looking forward to traveling with her after the group returned from the jungle. Yeah, and I think initially he was hesitant to go because he had just met this girl that he wanted to like spend some time with. And then they're like, let's go into the jungle for a couple months. And he's like, ah, fine. So they had to actually talk him into it. Okay, does Marcus make it out? I don't know. Tell me it's Marcus and Yossi. (laughs) A little about their guide, Carl Rupacher. I don't know. We don't know. Confident. Say it confident. Carl Rupacher. Good? Okay. (laughs) He was believed to be 35 years old and an Austrian geologist. Not much is known about him. Much of what is known about Carl is believed to be fabricated. There is reason to believe that Carl is not even his real name. It's believed he was wanted by the Austrian Interpol. It's unclear why he was wanted by them, though. Possibly for being involved in radical leftist groups. Another possibility was the rumors about Carl leading other tourists into the jungle and leaving them there. It's believed he fled Europe to Bolivia with a fake passport. Carl claimed he had been in Bolivia for the last nine years working as a geologist, mining gold, other precious metals, and antiquities, basically claiming to be a fortune hunter. An odd thing that Yossi mentioned in his book, which is called Lost in the Jungle, by the way, it's a great book, is that Carl wore cowboy boots into the jungle. That can't be comfortable to walk in. I was going to say, you're not going to give me a red flag for that one. <laughs> okay, so Yossi, Kevin, and Marcus, of course, had no idea about Carl's seedy and criminal background. So this was all learned after the fact. Yep. So things get a little strange here. Carl canceled the trip last minute. Red flag. Claiming that he had to help an ailing uncle on his ranch. Red flag. And receive some cattle on the ranch. I don't know if that's a red flag, but we'll call it a red flag. (laughs) The uncle in a ranch? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So this timeline is a little unclear, but it seems that Carl had to be at his uncle's ranch in a month and a half, cutting his original three-month timeline in half, which Carl didn't deem enough time for his plans. Red flag. Disappointed, Yossi tried to convince Carl to shorten the expedition to a month. Carl wasn't having it, again explaining that there would not be enough time to mine or prospect, and it wouldn't be worth it for him and his workers. Red flag. Because to me, 
this sounds like Carl wants to get some money from them, which he does. So Carl makes a suggestion that Yossi and the group could pay him as a guide to take them into the jungle for a shorter length of time. The fee would be 6,000 bolivianos, about $150 in 1981. So this would only be $50 per person, which doesn't seem unreasonable, but they also had to pay for the flight to the starting location for food and supplies on top of the $50 each. This makes me think that Carl never had workers that he was planning on taking into the jungle, and this was his plan all along. Yes. The four men met together to discuss details for their expedition. It seemed that Marcus had to translate German to English in order for Kevin and Carl to communicate. That's a lot. So Kevin and Carl aren't really able to communicate. Neither of them have a language in common. It seems Kevin could speak some Spanish, but Carl either spoke poor Spanish or a bizarre dialect. Right. So I don't know what language Carl prominently spoke then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, the fact that he doesn't speak fluent Spanish isn't crazy. So he claims to be from Austria, which they primarily speak German and... Hungarian. Hungarian there. So not crazy. Carl claimed that he knew the jungle like the back of his hand. Regardless of Carl knowing the jungle like the back of his hand... Red flag. Kevin wanted a map. Carl drew one with the promise of getting a real one. But guess what? They never got a real one. That didn't happen. While Carl and Yossi acquired the supplies, they couldn't find a detailed map with the area they needed. The only map they could find was one with a 1 in 500 ratio of the area they would be going into. So that's a very backed up. After numerous changes, the final plan seemed to be fly from La Paz to Apollo. They would then hike two days to the Osrimis village and walk six days to the Toromonis Indian village. Both of these villages, nothing comes up on Google. It tells me there aren't great results for your search, and that's it. So don't judge me <laughs> or correct me nicely. They would spend five days in said village, rest up, and then go to Tuichi. Then a two-day walk down to Surplea, which was a village or mining camp. They would pan gold for five days and then use a raft to go down the Tuichi River about 120 miles to the mouth of the Beni River. That puts them close to Ruanbaka, a large settlement. Lastly, the group would fly back to La Paz or they would go a bit further and spend some time at Carl's uncle's ranch further into the Reyes territory. Carl said that Surplea, the area they planned to search for gold, was uninhabited or not worked from June to October, but they could still pan for gold there. Sketchy. This idea enthralled Yossi. To quote him from his book, he said, I had gold fever. So he was really excited about the idea of finding gold. Carl suggested that Kevin, Marcus, and Yossi could help pan for gold and whatever they found, Carl would buy off of them to help offset the cost of his guide fee. Carl's so nice. What a nice guy. I know. He insisted that they would find lots of gold and claimed he had never struck out in the area. Carl also insisted that they have a rifle for the trip. Yeah. The group wasn't thrilled about this, but Carl talked them into it. Side note, rifles are not legal here at this time. Yossi and Carl ended up going to a local prison and talking to an inmate famous in the area to locate a shady character to buy a rifle from. But, wait, this isn't it. They also got amphetamines. Or speed. In case they needed to get a boost out there. Right, and this was also suggested by Carl. I will say... To me, that's not even the craziest part because when you're out in the jungle, when you're in an area where if something does happen, it's life or death and either you stop or you keep going could mean the difference between life or death. I think having amphetamines maybe isn't the worst plan, but still. No, it's the fact that they went to a prison to talk to an inmate about getting a gun and also happened to get amphetamine pills. Hey, where can we uh, find a shady character, please? Do they have any references? Yeah. What did they, they just walked in the prison and were like, hey, can I get your references for a rifle and amphetamines, please? I don't really know, but... 
So Yossi, Kevin, and Marcus each went to their embassies to detail their plans. Mm-hmm. So, you know, hey, I go missing. Exactly. Yeah. This was actually probably the smartest thing they did, although it's not going to help them. So Yossi ended up leaving a detailed letter at the Israeli embassy. It included their route they'd take, the people who were in it with him, their ages and addresses as well. I have a feeling Carl's address is not up to date. Yeah, and he requested that if they were not heard from by December 15th to take action, presumably meeting come save their asses, right? Yeah. He wrote to his brother in a letter too, detailing the trip and plans to travel to an uncle's place in Sao Paulo after the jungle expedition. He wrote that if he wasn't heard from by the first week in January, something went wrong. So Yossi is giving himself a very long timeline for this. Yeah. Because he's probably thinking, well, if we get held up or something happens, I don't want them panicking and sending people to rescue us when we're fine. So the group checked their extra belongings in at a hostel and with friends and said their goodbyes and head out. Headed out. And set out. Headed out. Went their ways. Went to go. Well, it would be either set out or headed out. It wouldn't be head out. (laughs) That was the only one I had an issue with. I'm going to hang myself (laughs) right here by this lamp above my head. Okay. When they landed in Apollo, they encountered two police officers and talked about their jungle adventures. The officers said they should check in and register with the local police station, but Carl refused. Red flag. (laughs) He said there would be too much unnecessary red tape. Which is probably true, but... Red flag! Yeah. So, you know, they didn't check in. Yeah. After an intense first day of hiking, the group was exhausted. First day is always the hardest. They were hoping to find a farm or ranch to stay the night out, but ended up tenting it. That night, the group woke up to a blood-curling scream from Marcus. Carl had gotten up to relieve himself and walked past Marcus. Marcus had thought he was an animal coming to attack him. Dear God. (laughs) I couldn't completely see this happening. Like Mm -hmm. 100%, like, you're already on edge. It's your first night in the jungle. You're thinking... There are jaguars in this jungle, by the way. You're thinking something might come try and eat you, and then when somebody walks by you, (laughs) you start screaming because you think they're... Can you imagine how terrified Carl must have been when all of a sudden... He's just trying to take a piss and Marcus is (laughs) screaming. Uh. Okay, so Kevin was carrying the most out of the group. His pack included cameras and other photography gear, And it weighed about 60 pounds. No. That's a heavy backpack. At least it's Kevin carrying this gear and not Marcus. Because remember, Marcus is the weakest hiker in the group. Carrying a 60-pound bag would literally murder me. I would not be able to do that. One of my favorite things to do when we group hike is to uh, bring the handheld scale along. Because a lot of us don't realize the last-minute things that we put into our bag. So we'll all weigh our bags in the parking lot. Mm-hmm. which usually prompts some people to take things out of their bags because they just don't realize. When the last time I did that, I had the lightest bag and another person in my group had the heaviest bag and there was a 20-pound difference between our bags. So that's a really big discrepancy if you think about it. Yeah, no, it is. So 60 pounds, that's a lot. That's over half my body weight, so no thanks. I know. And you're only supposed to carry no more than 25% of your body weight on your back. Which I never carry more than 25% of my body weight. Me I neither. never carry anything. I know. Well, I do, but it's still not more than 25% of my body it's weight. because you have expensive-ass lightweight gear. That's exactly why. Okay. Throughout the trip, Carl's behavior became more and more erratic. He would rant about politics, his worldviews, stories about himself in which the details kept changing. And he was caught in several lies. There was doubt beginning to form that he had any idea about what he was doing or where he was going. He seemed to know about hunting and did well enough. He would shoot and cook up monkeys for the group. 
I can promise you that that is very illegal now, and I guarantee you it was illegal in the 80s. It probably was. Later on, the group would begin to run out of food, and Carl would resort to this more often. Side note, Marcus always refused to eat the monkeys. This really bothered him for some reason. But could you imagine how terrifying that would be to already be out in the jungle? You're out in the middle of nowhere. You don't know where you are, and you realize your guide is a lying sack of shit. (laughs) Allegedly. (laughs) Oh, and Carl did tell one story that I find especially disturbing. So Carl told a story about how they had eaten a man in the jungle that had died of natural causes and even talked about how he would keep his teeth closed when drinking the brain soup so that he wouldn't get chunks in his mouth. What the fuck? No. Yum. No. No. No, no. The group stopped and stayed at several ranches along the way. At one, Carl bought a sickly dog, and insisted that she come along with them. She was a German shepherd, and Carl was sure that they could fatten her up and she would protect them from jaguars. Madison just got super concerned that they were going to eat the dog. (laughs) Fatten her up? Yeah. I thought they were going to talk about eating the dog. They're not going to eat the dog, you guys, but they're not free of, like, guilt here just yet. The dog was very sick and slowed the group down greatly, but Carl refused to leave her at any of the ranches that they passed because they're like, hey, Carl, maybe we should leave the dog at this ranch with these people instead of dragging it into the jungle. They ended up leaving in the jungle. They ended up leaving the dog in the jungle. Damn it, Carl. Oh, it probably died. It definitely died. I think it lived a long life and it got super fat and it ate a bunch of monkeys and it's fine. No, it got scared and it probably sat there and waited and then died while waiting for someone to come back for it. Uh, I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it. I'm going to tell myself that the dog was able to take a walk and it found a farm and it lived with their friends. I think the dog went back to the last ranch that they passed. That's what I think. I think the dog made it back to the ranch and now it runs around and plays with the chickens. And it's fine, Maddie. It's living on the farm. It's not. We can hope, anyway. They're killing monkeys. They left a goddamn dog in the middle of the... No. Not only did they not want Carl to take the dog in the first place, but Carl abused the dog, refused to leave it at a place where it would be safe, and then abandons it in the jungle. So resentment and mistrust began to build between the groups. They seemed to split into two factions. Yossi and Kevin versus Marcus and Carl. Why is Marcus on Carl's side? Exactly. Isn't that so bizarre? I find that so bizarre too. At one point, Marcus began calling Carl Papa, which I don't like that. No, that's that's weird. Among the other weird stuff going on with Carl, he almost seemed to play Yossi and Kevin off of Marcus. So it sounds like he was trying to dig a wedge between them and actually create an issue. Hmm. This further deepened the rift between the backpackers. And remember, Yossi and Marcus were originally friends and got along, and Kevin and Marcus were even better friends. And now, Marcus isn't friends with either of them. So the rift um, was particularly bad between Marcus and Kevin. At several points, Kevin told Marcus that he should go back. (laughs) Hey, Marcus, you should probably go back. (laughs) I'm going to try that. Next time I'm hiking with somebody that's complaining, I'm going to be like, you should probably go back. You don't look like you're enjoying yourself. Just head on back. And while he's telling Marcus this, Marcus is like, I'm having a great time. What are you talking about? But the rest of the group could see that Marcus was struggling. So he was starting to struggle to keep up a little bit. Mm -hmm. So the group arrived in Azrimus Village, stayed for a few days, rested, resupplied, and spent some time with the local. Carl seemed to know the villagers, but that didn't help the mistrust formed in the group. Yeah, and originally when I read about this, I was like, why didn't Yossi and Kevin just leave them at that point? Why didn't they just stay in Mm -hmm. the village? But this village is not near civilization. It's kind of in the middle of nowhere. So it's not quite that simple. Well, why wouldn't you just 
does no one know how to get back to civilization from these villages? Well, I don't know. Do they even speak the language? I mean, I don't know. But I'm guessing there was a good reason that they didn't. Or they just kept thinking it's going to get better and they kept pushing forward. Um, I probably would have dipped out. I would have tried. To we we would have. If we were in a group like that, that's where we would have dipped out for sure. Oh, yeah. I would have tried to find someone in the village or a ranch or something that knew their way back to civilization and tried to get there. Mm-hmm. So they plan to follow the Esremus River upstream, cross a range of mountains to the Cocos River, and descend into Cocos Crossing, the mountains, until they came to Colorado Chico, which is a short distance to the Indian village. All right, so the Esremus River is a shallow river with a strong current and very little banks. The group planned on wading through the river and walking on the bank when they could. Right, which I've hiked in areas like this. It's very difficult. And also taking your boots on and off is very difficult as well. Yeah, and eventually they just all kept their shoes and socks on and got wet feet. Which is about the worst thing you can do. Which is newsflash why we carry camp shoes with us. We call them our camp shoes and they are like tivas, strap-on sandals. And you can wade through water, rock, river. We've we've crossed really hard currents wearing mm-hmm. our tivas. Our boots stay dry. I just hook my boots onto my backpack or I shove them into my backpack yep. and roll them up so they don't get wet in case I fall in. I can attest to wet shoes. That is how I lost three of my toenails while hiking it was like, I did like 24 miles in one day, but halfway through the day, my boots got wet, which I didn't think was that big of a deal until we started our downhill. And then because my feet were wet and because we were going such a steep descent, my toenails pounding on the, like the toe of my shoe just did not, oh, it was real bad. I actually thought I was going to throw up from the pain of that hike. So don't hike with wet shoes. But this did lead to Marcus getting trench foot, which happens when your feet consistently stay wet or are wet for too long. Want to talk about the symptoms, Madison? This is like... (laughs) Okay, let's go. This is like what nightmares are made of right here. I need to go into it. I need to just talk about it real fast and then get it over with. Everybody, warning, um, this may be gross to you because this... Uh, Yeah. Okay. I can't go. Okay. Typical symptoms include blistering, blotchy skin, redness, and skin tissue that dies and falls off. So basically, the skin of your feet are falling off. Cool. Sensations that can be experienced in the feet are coldness, numbness, heaviness, pain, when exposed to heat, constant itching, prickliness, and tingling. These symptoms can spread to the whole foot, including toes, which makes walking excruciatingly painful, if not impossible. Worst case, gangrene and various infections will set in and potentially leading to amputation. Yep. So basically, best case scenario, your skin is falling off. Worst case scenario, they have to cut your foot off. It's fine. Great. Sounds good. Yep. Sign me up. This, <laughs> Dude, I get a blister on the back of my foot and I feel like I'm dying when okay, I walk. Okay. So think about that. I was thinking about that when I read this. Like, if you get a blister while hiking, especially a long distance, you feel like you're going to die. Oh my God. If I didn't have the mole skin, I literally would have died. And I was still uncomfortable even then. Obviously, Marcus's feet slowed the group's pace to a crawl. It was at this point that they began to see that Carl couldn't find the village or mining camp, and their food was starting to run low. Scary. So the plan became to make a raft, go down the Tuji River. This would give Marcus's feet some time to dry out and heal some, some, little, very little. It's not going to be enough time. At this point, it was revealed that Carl couldn't swim. <laughs> Red flag. Though he wouldn't admit it. Admit the, it. Admit it. The, admit it. Admit it. Sounds like you're saying admit it instead of admit it. Admit it. There you go. Admit it. Admit it. Nope. You just did the G again. Why can't I put a G in it? There's no G in it. Why? Uh. So, and though he wouldn't admit it, the others were sure he was lost. Yeah. You can kind of tell when somebody's lost. So Carl got them lost. He can't swim. Yep. I'm sorry. But also, if you ever want to piss anyone off, tell them that they look like someone who can't swim. Okay. It upsets people. And I thought this story was important because it does come into play later. 
One morning when Yossi was brushing his teeth, he used the last of some water from a canteen and Kevin got very annoyed and scolded him for using the last of something without considering the others. And this stuck with Yossi and really bothered him. Like he felt really bad for it. Also, there's an incident where they killed a sloth, which we're not going to go into, but that does happen as well. How did they kill a sloth? I don't know. I stopped reading. (laughs) I was like, nope, I don't want to know. I'm out. I don't want to know. What does sloth do to you? Sloths are low-key a little bit terrifying, especially if you put them walking into like a faster motion. They're absolutely terrifying. They are kind of terrifying. But But don't kill a sloth. What? What is it? They can't even run from you. Sloths they're are, so slow. They're also really stupid. They actually fall a lot because they grab their own arm thinking it's a branch and they fall to their deaths. Great. And also sloths actually usually just die because they're too tired of hanging onto the branch and fall to their death. Oh, cool. So Kevin and Nosey could see that Marcus was not in great shape. Anybody who has no skin on their feet would be in awful shape, in my opinion. Yeah. Not about anyone else. And he was apprehensive about going down the river. So... They decided to split up. Kevin and Yossi would raft the Tucci River and get to the next village and continue the expedition. And Carl and Marcus would hike back to their starting point. And then everyone agreed to meet back in La Paz. Now, from what I could gather, nobody was super thrilled about this idea. But this is what happened. So Carl gave Yossi and Kevin the map and warned them that they had to get to the river bank before they hit the canyon. There was a series of rapids and waterfalls leading into the canyon that would be impassable with a raft. Yeah, and this was called St. Peter's Canyon. So they split up all the supplies and went their separate ways. So Kevin also gave Marcus most of his camera reels to keep safe in case something happened to them. Right, because Carl and Marcus were taking the easy way out. They were hiking back. They only had three days to go where Yossi and Kevin are getting ready to go down river in a handmade raft. So Kevin's like, you take the film back because I want it to make it back if Mm -hmm. I don't. They also split up all of the food, the supplies. I know that Kevin and Yossi took the machete and the amphetamine with them and the majority of the food because they had the longer route to go before they would find food. This split up also happened on December 1st. Alas, Yossi and Kevin did not make it to the riverbank and the rapids started sucking them into the canyon. And part of why they didn't make it to the riverbank is because they couldn't find the landmarks that Carl had told them to look for. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. They crashed into a big rock and Kevin jumped off and made it to shore, but Yossi did not. Kevin tried to go back for Yossi but couldn't get to him in time he did go over the waterfall on the raft. He could have been in the water from anywhere for a few minutes to a half hour. He really couldn't recall, but he was being rushed downstream, smashing into rocks and logs. He basically said that he was tossed around like a rag doll. He found himself on a patch of riverbank, battered and bruised, and he was able to hike down to where the raft had landed and found that the backpack was still attached. Thank God. The rice and beans were completely wet, along with everything else in the bag that wasn't in a waterproof bag. See, this is why you have a waterproof bag, so then nothing in your bag gets wet. He took inventory of the bag and then started his hike upstream to try to reunite with Kevin, thus beginning his three-week trek alone in the jungle. Meanwhile, Kevin had tried to find Yossi from upstream. He hiked in and out, of the water running into the same problems with trench foot. He survived on eggs that he found in birds' nests and small animals he could kill, but he began to deteriorate fast. So Kevin by now was too weak to build a raft, so he found a fallen tree, pulled it into the river, and floated down the river. Right, which is kind of smart, but he literally just like climbed onto it, like hugged it, and like floated down the river as much as he could. So, shockingly, two local men came across him, pulled him into their boats, and took him to their village. He got so lucky. Mm -hmm. So lucky. After a brief recovery period, Kevin was on a mission to go back and find Yossi. He had gone to the American and Israelite embassies for help. 
Kevin was told that it was a lost cause, but he was persistent and managed to get an airplane to fly over the area. Later, after an unsuccessful flyover, he found a local man with a boat who would take him down the river. And it was while he was at the embassy, you guys, that he learned about Carl's criminal background, which I heard because Carl is part of this group, that was one of the reasons the government was reluctant to get involved to go searching for him. They're like, we're not really interested in searching for this man. Sorry for the associates that might have been with him, but yeah. Damn. Okay, well, so now, by now, if you've learned, we all know Yossi makes it alive. Kevin's already made it out alive, so... Hmm. Okay, meanwhile, Yossi's alive, but he is in bad shape. Much of his gear was washed away with the river, and he did not have a tent, food, or water. And remember, in a lot of places, you do not want to drink the water that's available to you if you can't filter it, because you run the risk of catching something from it. Yeah, and I mean, like, when we were in Europe, they had those water spigots all over the place. That was cool, but that was on, like, a hike, so I guess that makes sense. But, like, here in the Pacific Northwest, you could probably just go for it and drink from a river or stream. Yeah, I've drank from some really sketchy lakes, even, because lakes are the worst. Rivers and streams are always safer, but lakes are the worst. But when I've had no choice, I have filtered and drank lake water, but... I was able to filter it. One thing that he did have was a small religious book his uncle had given him. Right. And the reason he still has this is because this book was actually in a waterproof bag because it was very valuable to him. This book was really special to Yossi. His uncle was a Holocaust survivor and this book had been with him in the concentration camp. Crazy. The book had brought Yossi some comfort and motivated him to get out of the jungle alive. Crazy. My God. Which it's a good thing he had this book because things are about to get really bad for Yossi. Oh, God. I'm going to give you a good warning. My eyes are actually watering right now. because Maddie just read ahead a little bit and she's very disturbed. So get ready. If you have children in the car, turn on your speaker real quick. Shreda, just, I don't know. So flies. Burn your ears. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, Maybe just skip like 15 seconds. I read flies and mosquito on this one. I don't know which one it was or if it was both, but insects had basically laid larvae under his skin, and as they grew, they began to eat their way out. He could actually feel them moving around under his skin. Yossi cut up to 14 worm-like larvae out of his skin from various areas of his body. Holy fuck. No, no, no. I'm crawling right now. I'm convinced I have something under my skin right now. To me, this particular one is almost the worst of it, but it is going to get worse. This is bad, though. I know. I am not okay with this. No. He was also covered in more bug bites than he could even count. I believe that. So on his sixth night, Yossi awoke, realizing he was being stalked, probably by a big cat, probably a jaguar. Yeah, no, thank you. And remember, this is why Carl wanted the dog with them because he was scared of the jaguars. It was motionless with only its tail flipping. Don't like that. And when Delilah does that, she's about to attack. And right when she starts doing that, that's when Phoenix starts screaming (laughs) because the cat's going to attack her feet. (laughs) So he used a lighter and a can of mosquito repellent to scare the cat off. This is genius. Right, except for his lighter fluid basically is gone after this too. Yeah, but think about it being killed by a big cat or... Right, no, I know. (laughs) You know, having mosquito repellent, which probably isn't even working in the first place, but... Obviously not. I don't know, in case you can't get the picture, let the lighter spray it, flame. Flame, yep, yep. He actually rationed the beans and rice in case he met up with Kevin because he was worried that Kevin might starve. He kept thinking about using the last of the water when brushing his teeth and how upset Kevin got about it. So he only ate one spoonful of beans and one spoonful of rice each day and saved rations for Kevin in case he found him. One spoonful of beans and rice, you guys. So not only is he already starving, but he's only eating one spoonful of moldy beans and rice, but he's saving Kevin's portions too. Sad. 
I don't know why, but that like really upsets me. It makes me really sad. <laughs> I know. So he came across three huts in the jungle. He was ecstatic, but there really wasn't anything there for him to use. Yeah, I think initially he was hoping this would be an inhabited hunting area or panning mm-hmm. area because they would stay in huts. But it was definitely abandoned. And the only thing he found was a walking stick that had like a spear type point on it. Mm-hmm. So maybe something that somebody would use to like get fish or things like that. And he took this along with him when he left the encampment. He figured that it would be months before anyone showed up. So he headed back to the river and tried to find his way out before the rainy season. Right. So he could have hunkered down and stayed in one of these huts and had shelter. But in his mind, he's like, it will be months before these people come back to these huts and I will probably be dead Be dead before then. So he goes back to the river, back to the open, back to the bugs to try to find his own way out. At one point, he found a boot print that he thought must be Kevin's and he followed it to one of his discarded campsites. So he followed his own footprint back to one of his campsites because he got turned around. So he didn't realize it was a footprint he had made. How frustrating would that be? He took amphetamine at this point and left a sign at the river pointing in the direction he had gone. Right. So he's like, well, this sucks. I'm going to take amphetamine and build myself a sign. A little warning. This part is slightly unpleasant. So he slips off of a ledge And in the process, drops his new walking stick that has the sharp end on it. And he ends up falling on it and it actually pierces his rectum. And this wound would bleed profusely. And there's more details on this, but I'm going to stop there. And you guys can use your imaginations to think about the things he may have had to do to stop the bleeding. But we're going to leave it at that. The worst storm of the decade came through the canyon at this point, with torrential downpour causing massive flooding. Yossi had to get to higher ground, leaving the river to avoid drowning. And due to the high levels of water and constant rain, Yossi's feet were soaked. Guess who's getting trench foot now? And he got stuck in quicksand not once, but twice. And the second time he couldn't pull himself out and he thought of just like, taking all the amphetamines, like killing himself right there. I can't. On top of all of that, he was experiencing starvation, isolation, suicidal thoughts, and he got a fungal infection. Cool. He's bleeding from his rectum. He's pulling worms out of his body. He's starving to death. And now he has trench foot. I mean, let's just see how bad things can get. We get a blister and we're like, maybe we should take a couple weeks off. (laughs) We think we're going to die from our blister, and this is, like, another level. And there were multiple times he wanted God to end it and put him out of his misery. Yep. And also, he saw that there was a plane passing overhead, and Yossi figured it was searching for him. He tried to get the plane's attention, but it flew away, not seeing him. Uh, And it was at this point that he broke. So he was laying, sobbing in the mud when a girl appeared out of the jungle. The girl kind of pulled Yossi out of it, and he was determined to keep them both alive. By the way, she's also naked. The plane flew by multiple times without seeing him, but he tried to stay positive. He would make a camp at night for the both of them and constantly talk to her. He tried to keep her spirits up and promised that he would get her out of the jungle too. Some nights later, they went to sleep with Yossi's arm over the girl, and Yossi awoke to find himself alone again. It was at this time that he questioned his sanity, wondering if she had been real or not. I like that this is when he's starting to question his sanity. Like, naked girl appears out of the jungle. Unharmed. Unharmed, but that's fine. That's normal. Yossi believes that his hallucination of the girl is a large part of saving his life. He felt that she needed him and he had a responsibility to her. And I can totally see this because when I go hiking or camping with my kids, I feel a much greater sense of needing to keep them safe and to do all the things where if it was just me, I'm not, I wouldn't be as worried about that kind of stuff. Shortly after realizing that he was probably hallucinating, he falls into a mud pit and it takes him 45 minutes to walk himself out. And he is so tired and sore that night 
that he couldn't even get up to pee, so he ended up urinating himself three times that night. And actually thought that the warm pee felt really good because he was cold. He woke up in the middle of the night to being bit by ants. And the ant bites were so aggressive, but he couldn't get himself to get up and move. He was just trying to kill them as they were biting him. And then he realized that he was covered in termites and that they had eaten through his mosquito net. And then he remembered that both bugs are attracted to urine. So him peeing on himself is what brought them to him. Oh my God. I don't know if anyone else has been bit by ants before. Like, oh, that hurts. And later that day, things would get a little worse for Yossi. He would take his socks off for the first time in weeks. And when he did, he discovered that his skin was almost completely worn off. There was a point where in trying to walk back to find the river, chunks of flesh were coming off his feet. Maddie just like recoiled in like complete disgust. I am not okay. I can't handle those foot masks that people do in the skin. The dead skin all comes off their... I can't handle that. Like I physically cannot handle it. No, I don't even... Yeah, I don't even like that. So they were completely raw. Essentially stumps which made walking literal hell on earth. And at one point, he dragged himself to a tree covered in fire ants, shaking the tree to be covered with the ants so that they'd bite him, distracting him from the pain of his rotting feet and giving him an adrenaline surge. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? How the desperation there is. And wait, he also had not had a bowel movement in over a week, and every time he tried to, his rectum would start bleeding profusely again. Oh my God. I can't. Meanwhile, Kevin had made it to the nearby village of Ruenbach. He had persuaded locals to help him find Yossi. He ended up finding a local riverman, Tico Tudila, to take a small motorboat along the Tucci River, searching for Yossi. After three days of searching the river, the two were ready to give up. And decided that this would be their last day of searching. So Yossi heard a noise different from the jungle's drone. It was a boat motor and Kevin calling his name. Yossi oh was God. froze in the spot, unable to speak, eventually dragging himself back to the river. But it was too late. The boat had passed, leaving him. I would literally, I would just like at this point, I would just be like, I am just die. I just need to die. As he stared after Kevin... Kevin turned back and saw him. Oh, my God. They got Yossi into the boat and headed for the village. They gave him three bread rolls, tuna, and five bananas, and he ate all of them immediately. Which, by the way, I would think would make you so sick. Oh, it would. Oh, for sure. Well, because when you've been starving like that, it's like refeeding syndrome or something. Like You have to slowly introduce food back in, but he didn't even care. After being stranded for three weeks, Yossi had finally been rescued. He was almost unrecognizable, having been covered in filth, bug bites, several injuries, tattered clothes, and about 35 pounds lighter. They had to stop and camp on their way back. This is how far they are from the village. This is how far Kevin went to go find his ass. Like, they have to stop and camp on the way back. That's how far away they are. they can't make it back. Yossi still had rice and beans in his bag for Kevin. Isn't that so sad? So sad. <laughs> I don't know why, but like after all of this, like that just kills me. Yeah. Kills me. Kevin's actually working on a book with his story as well. And I would love to tell that story. He actually, there are points where, so he had the machete with him. And at one point he realizes that he left it somewhere, but he was so exhausted and thought he was going to die that he didn't even bother going back for it. So like his story all in its own is crazy. So we yeah. were, I was thinking we should do like a mini Patreon on just his story once I get a hold of the book. Because yeah. I read Yossi's book, but I haven't yeah, found Kevin's. Yeah. So he spent a month recovering in the hospital from all his injuries, including blood infection. Yeah. God. You guys, they also removed leeches from his hair and head. And when they cut open a bump on his forehead, they found a worm from a mosquito burrowed under his skin. 
No. 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 Dude, I'm not even one to be, like, afraid of bugs. But this is... It's too much. When it's, like, under your skin. But incredibly enough, Yossi says that he has no lasting scars, mental or physical, from his ordeal. And even stayed in the area for a couple of months after he was discharged. Yossi's family only knew that he was missing for a couple of days before he was rescued. Yeah, because he sent them the le- that, those letters giving him plenty of Thank time. God. Because can you imagine if his family had known? They would have thought he was dead. When he called his dad, his dad said, don't you ever do anything like that ever again. And then he handed the phone over to his mother. <laughs> That's all his dad had to say to him. And it was like a couple of days, Jesus. Yeah. So on his way home, he stopped at Marcus's parents' house. Yeah. To tell them what had happened and express his condolences. Marcus's mom was convinced that her son was still alive. Yossi even went looking in the village where a psychic said he would be. Which he didn't find. And Marcus's mom even went out searching for him as well. Bad. But came home without her son. Ten years after his ordeal, Yossi came back to Bolivia, helping to build and run a couple eco-lodges and bringing ecotourism back to the area helping to get more of the rainforest, declared a part of the Madadi National Park and participated in many other projects around the world. Unfortunately, Marcus and Carl were never seen again. Which, they were only three days from the village. I half think, uh, okay, I know this, maybe this isn't fair to Carl, but I half think that Marcus was slowing him down too much. He killed him in the jungle and then peaced out because he already had a warrant out for his arrest. Yeah, so the fact that Carl, but Marcus not being seen again. Yeah, because I wouldn't be surprised if Carl was never seen again. But, but it's Marcus. Marcus. So there are theories that both died in the jungle or that Carl, for some unknown reason, as my mother just said, murdered Marcus, then disappeared. But no one knows for sure. There were searches for Marcus and Carl, all which came to nothing. It's unknown why Carl approached Yossi or what his motives were for taking them out in the jungle in the first place. Yeah, Yossi kind of feels like Carl saw how young and naive he was and decided to take advantage of him. But to this day, we still don't know very much about Carl or his real identity or even why he was wanted. So we just really don't know. Yeah, so Kevin and Yossi are still friends to this day. Yossi's book, Lost in the Jungle, was made into a movie starring Daniel Radcliffe. Yeah, and I haven't seen the movie, but I actually heard that they left some of the stuff out because they thought it just sounded too unbelievable to put in the movie. Funny. Yeah, so obviously it's dramatized, but it's a movie. What do we expect? I heard it's good, but I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it either. The book is really good, though. I highly recommend the book if you guys have some time, like hearing it from Yossi's perspective is really kind of amazing. And we'll post pictures of all of them in our post too. So it's pretty crazy. Look at the pictures. Um, They should be posted on our social media. Um, We're also going to pop on over to Patreon and talk about the most disturbing things that we found in this case. (laughs) Maddie's going to puke, I think. I'm not feeling good after recording that. Uh, Also, we have a huge shout out to give to one of our listeners, Caitlin Sinclair, who helped us with the research on this episode. You're amazing. And we so, so appreciate your work. Loved this story. I loved it. It was awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're amazing. Literally, we would not be able to do this without the help right now, you guys. We are so grateful for everybody who has stepped up to help us out. You guys are amazing. And then we have two new Patreons to tell you about. We have Amy Kilgore or Kuniper, as she will be soon. Congratulations on getting married. We also have Joe Mathewson. Mathewson? Thank you, Joe. And both of them actually signed up for the annual membership, which is amazing. Yeah, thank you, Amy, and thank you, Joe. We really appreciate you guys listening and supporting us and all of our Patreons. You guys are amazing. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for listening. Go follow us on our social medias at Lost in the Woods Podcast. Yeah, share us on your stories, all that fun stuff, and let us know what you guys think about this case. Or if you have any theories about Carl 
And Marcus. Or perhaps his real identity. Yeah. Let us know. We're kind of curious about that too. All right. Thanks, you guys. And we will talk to you next week. Bye. My backpack is, like, huge. Like, when me and my mom were standing in the mirror at the airport, I'm like, why does my backpack look so much bigger than yours? Like, I'm not going to get through as a, as this is a carry-on because I look— Okay, so our backpacks are definitely bigger than the carry-on standard size. But if we, like, squish them down enough, it looks okay. But our backpacks are always the same size, but Maddie's looks so much bigger on her because she's so much shorter than me. So it, like, sticks up above her head more than me, and I'm like— Make it smaller. <laughs> we're gonna get we're gonna get caught. Well, like when the only airline that's done it to us was the Icelandic airline that made you put your bag. It had to fit into this certain cubby. Like, yeah, they had like a a square box or a rectangular box that you had to stuff your bag into. Our bags didn't fit. We shoved them in there and then they fit. Yep. But, the but, thing but is- we still got our bags taken from us because the. Uh, airplane was too small. They made us all check our bags. Did they? Yeah, they made us check them on that flight. Oh, yeah. That was the flight that we were going home from that they made us mm-hmm. check them on. And then we show up in freaking Iceland and they're like, we're like, where are our bags? And they're like, oh, they're being sent to SeaTac. We're, we're like, like, we're not going to SeaTac today. <laughs> we're going to be here for a full 24 hours. And, and we had nothing. nothing yeah. Because they made us check all our bags. So we didn't have our suitcases or our backpacks. And we we're like... Yeah, it was super fun. Anyway, it's like you either don't talk at all or you just like keep interrupting with random shit throughout the whole thing. I can't. I don't know. You get to pick I your can't. poison. Pick your poison. I can't take you it. want interrupting Maddie or you want sleepy Maddie because I only do those two things. I would like in between Maddie, please. In between Maddie doesn't exist. I would like consistent Maddie, please. There is no consistency here. <laughs> Obviously. Okay.